welcome to If You've Come This Far, our podcast where we set out to have authentic conversations with interesting people about navigating life and making life more fulfilling and more impactful. And of course, we hope to learn something along the way. My name's Chris. And I'm Sean. And just a little bit about Men Living. Men Living is a nonprofit organization. We bring guys together for connection, to talk about stuff that matters, to work on ourselves a little bit and to find some community and brotherhood. You can learn more about Men Living at menliving.org. And if you've come this far, maybe you're willing to come a little bit further. So in this, our first episode, we're lucky to be joined by Todd Adams. Todd is a close friend of ours and also happens to be a co-founder of Men Living. Todd's been doing men's work for over a decade and has been working on parenting for nearly two decades with his wife and partner, Kathy Kasani Adams. Together, they host Zen Parenting Radio, uh, a parenting podcast that really is about self-awareness, and they've been doing that for 10 years. We talk with Todd about his own journey, how and why he coaches men, and what that coaching looks like, and the place of frameworks in self-work and men's work. All right. Welcome, Todd Adams, and thanks for being our first guest. Uh, Sean and I are still debating what we should call this podcast, um, but my, my favorite so far and I'm not trying to anchor us on this, Sean, but my favorite so far is if you've come this far. So some of our listeners know that you and Kathy are huge movie fans. Uh, and this is where we'll insert a, a, a pop culturing plug later on, maybe. But um, do you know what that's from, that quote? If you've come this far, maybe you'll go all the way. Um, oh, it's from Shawshank from Shawshank. Yeah. And I think it's like, if you've come this far, maybe you're willing to go a little further. Yeah, there you go. I, yeah. I messed up the line, but yeah, that's a Shawshank line. But, but check plus for getting it right. Um, all right. So I ask you this um, because, well, for pretty much the entire two decades that you and I have known each other, uh, I would say that you have, have stretched and grown and then stretched and grown again uh, and always go a little bit further. And Sean and I were talking about you. It's like you have this insatiable growth mindset. Um, and Sean and I were talking about your relatively recent commitment to the Conscious Leadership Group uh, as being a great example of that. So to start, I think we'd love to hear you talk a little bit about that program and what you're doing with it and what it means to you. Oh, wow. What a really good question. I can go on for a long time answering that question. But before I even do that, yes, I do have a growth mindset, but I want to call myself out a little bit. By the way, are we swearing on this podcast or no? Yes, yes, it's required. I just want to, I just want to make sure. My growth mindset also holds me back, and what I mean by that is, I am always searching, looking. How do I become a better husband? How do I be become a better men's group leader? And it takes me away from presence. So I first need to, you know, I'm, I'm. You said, I think you said, Chris, insatiable. Like that is a wonderful driver for me, but it also takes me away from being content with what it is that's happening right now. So I just want to like, that's the first thing I thought of when you said that. So um, CLG is the name of an organization that I became aware of, um, geez, I don't know, six or seven years ago, maybe less. And I've always been attracted to the guy, one of the co-founders, his name is Jim Dethmer. And Kathy told me that she's like, yeah, you got to check this guy out. So I did. And then I read the book that he wrote with Diana Chapman called The 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership. And I kind of stepped my toe into that world a little bit. And 
I always wanted to do this year-long coaches training certification. And I didn't have the guts to make the commitment financially or from a time perspective. And I think you guys probably know this story, but I, um, about three months before I decided to join this program, I started having these stomach pains that would wake me up in the middle of the night. And I think at the time I was 46 years old. And I I'm, have been a very blessed, lucky, healthy person for all of my life. And then all of a sudden in the middle of the night, I started waking up with a severe abdominal pain. And to make a really long story short, I went to a bunch of doctors and got ultrasounds and MRIs and they couldn't figure anything out. And meanwhile, my wife, who's really, really smart, sent me an article or a blog or something on the different chakras. And I think the chakra that she wanted me to focus on was the third chakra, which I think is your gut. And usually when something is, is misaligned with your gut, it means that there's something misaligned in your life. And there's two things. She, so she asked me, she's like, Todd, what's misaligned in your life? And my answer was, I really want to do this conscious leadership training thing, which was a big, long commitment. And I want to sell these apartment buildings that I've owned since my oldest daughter was basically born. And uh, that day, I, I made an arrangement with my boss to see if he would support me through this conscious leadership group. And I also called my um, real estate broker and said, I want to sell these buildings. And then that next, that night, my pain went away. So that was the beginning for me to get out of my thinking mind and my logical mind that I reside in. And I know that Chris, you reside in quite often. Sean, you're a little bit less cerebral than I think Chris and I, I don't know if you guys would agree with that, but that didn't make any sense. Just because I made this internal choice took my physical pain away. And that doesn't mean that everybody can do that or I can do that every time I, I'm in any physical pain, but it it kind of reframed what was possible for me. So yeah, that that was the beginning of my experience with CLG. Well, so, so tell us a little bit more about why CLG is unique and why you've been sticking with it and, and continuing to work on that. So um, I became certified as a coach through the Tony Robbins certification program, I don't know, five or six or seven years ago. And it was a decent program, but I knew I wasn't prepared to help men because I coach guys one-on-one in the way that I wanted to. I, I felt like I was ill-prepared to do as good of a job in it as I felt I could. And then when I started reading this book, I'm like, all right, this is an interesting thing. I've never read anything like this before, at least not presented in the style it was presented in. And then when I, when I looked at some of the prerequisites or the requirements to be in the program, it said that you have to do all these different things. But one of the things that it said you had to do is you had to make a commitment that you're going to meditate 10 minutes a day every day. I'm like, wow, what kind of a business coaching program am I getting myself into if they're saying that you need to make a commitment to meditate? So then I knew I was in this kind of world that I was kind of moving towards anyway. So that was another realization that I thought it was really good. But in regards to why this teaching helped me is that the foundational, one of the foundational teachings that I learned was a very simple exercise. And think, you know, if you're listening to this, think of a horizontal black line. And at any moment in time, we are either above this line or below this line. 
And when you are above the line, that means you're open, you're curious, you're willing to learn. Life is happening for you and not to you. You're at ease, you're breathing in a, in a very calm way. There's, there's certain things that are going on in your body and you're just kind of in, aligned to with the essence of who you are. That's the above the line piece, which most of us, including me, are rarely at. The below the line is when you're close, you're defensive, you want to be right, and you just, um, life is happening to you and you're a victim or you're blaming somebody or yourself. And the simplicity of the teaching is what hooked me. Like, okay, I'm either above or below the line. So whenever I coach guys or maybe when I'm doing a men living um, class or meeting, I'll invite the guys, like, where are you right now in this now moment? Are you above or below the line? So that was one of the foundational teachings that I pulled a lot out of that helped me realize that, yeah, this is something I want to invest some more of my time in. So, so maybe you can help me uh, because I'm not as cerebral as you and Chris. It may take me a little longer to get it. Um, but I, but I actually read 15 commitments. Um, I can read. And, you know, one of the, th one of the things that I struggle with around frameworks is it seemed to me like, okay, why do we have to have 15 commitments? I mean, uh, why can't we have three or one? I mean, and really my mind goes to the fact that, well, if we only had one, what would we talk about? Yeah. We, you know, we wouldn't, we, we need more stuff to talk about. So, so give me some sense for, for that whole, you know, for that whole concept. I mean, you know, the, the below the line, the above below the line thing is very simple. I mean, why don't we just finish on that? That's yeah. the framework yeah. um, rather than all, rather than all the other stuff. So before I answer your question, I'm realizing how my comment may and because Sean, you and I are friends. I know that it, it lands softly, but what I meant to say is, and this is some of my work with the CLG is they really helped me take a deep dive in this, um, personality type called the Enneagram. And I know Chris is a five and five means he resides inside of his head. I'm a three. I don't even know what you are, Sean. Do you know what you are? I'm agnostic when it comes to the Enneagram. Because the Enneagram, again, here we go with another yep. framework. Yeah. I, I believe, I, 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 yes, I believe that I am a two. Yes, that makes sense to me. That's what yeah. I would have guessed. All so, right. and we don't need to get into all the Enneagram stuff, but Thank God. so the, <laughs> So, but I know that whenever I get um, nervous or stressed, I go up to my head and I, I've known Chris long enough to know that that's where he goes too. I've had enough sober uh, conversations with him and non-sober conversations with him to know that when we, when, I, when both of us go under stress, we go into our head and, and we go outside of our body. Sean, I, I think of you as somebody who more is tapped into his body in that regard. And I don't know if that's true or not, but that's just a story I make up. Regarding um, the commitments, why is there 15? As a coach, I spend most of my time on the first three commitments. And the first one is, um, so, you know, I don't know if I'll be able to do this in a, in a concise way, but a guy comes to me and says, I'm fighting with my wife and I, I want her, I want to get along better. First question I'm going to ask is, are you above or below? And then the second question uh, I'll ask is, um, how do you know you're above or below? And then I'll, I actually have a worksheet and they look at, you know, the statements, behaviors, and beliefs from above the line and below the line. So it's up to, it's up to them to convince me if they're above the line or below the line. And then after that, I'll have them walk through the drama triangle, which is victim consciousness, hero consciousness, and villain consciousness. And then I'll ask them to accept themselves for being afraid. 
And then we'll get into the commitment questions. And there's very 15 very specific questions to each of these commitments. But the first one is, are you willing to take 100% responsibility for your experience of being disconnected with your wife? So that is like just there. That's an, you know, you can do, I can do a year of coaching with a man or, uh, or I can be coached by another coach just focusing on, am I willing to take 100% responsibility? No more than 100%, which is hero energy, where I'm like overhelping, or no less, which is victim and villain uh, consciousness. And that's the below the line. So am I willing to take 100% responsibility? No more, less, no more, no less for my experience of the situation. And then the second one is, are you willing to let go of being right about this situation? You know, you know, a guy will say, well, yeah, I mean, I am right because my wife won't have sex with me or my wife doesn't want to talk to me. And are you willing to let go of being right and instead look at this with uh, through a lens of curiosity? So, um, yeah, I will. So and then the third one and probably the most important for men living is, are you willing to feel all of your authentic feelings all the way through? And Sean, I just emailed you a post that I want you to post for the newsletter this Wednesday. And it's all about being able to feel our feelings all the way through. And what I say in the blog is um, most of us were experts at this when we were born. You know, when we were unhappy, we cried and our mother or father or parent figure took care of us. And then over time, society, ourselves, our peers beat that ability out of us. And the idea of us being able to feel our anger, feel our sadness, feel our fear, feel our joy, feel whatever it is, in our body and express it is something very foreign to most guys our age. So um, I spend very little time on the 15. I spend most of my time on the first five or six commitments. So, but that's just kind of a taste of what it is that I would do. So, so Todd, even in that short description, I think you referenced at least three different frameworks. Uh, you mentioned hero energy at one point. Um, and, and I sometimes, uh, I, I I don't know if it's that I don't have the capacity for all this stuff. I also sometimes think it's like golf. Uh, I've never played golf with Sean. I think that he and I both know how to get around the track pretty well, but there's an old golf joke about the guy who says, Oh, my left arm is, uh, is flying out. Oh, I came inside out. Oh, I hooked, I came over the top. Oh, I looked up. And then finally his playing partner after like the 12th pole looks at him and says, I think I figured out what your problem is. You suck, you know? <laughs> And, and so the, sometimes I'm overwhelmed with the frameworks and I feel, I wonder, and I wonder if you feel this way, that, that sort of this barrage of frameworks can get in the way of, of, of growth or self-improvement. Um, yeah. And, and, and before you, before you answer Todd, because, because I also think that, you know, you've been a student of a variety of different frameworks mm -hmm. and, and, um, knowing you what 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 i what i wonder is where's todd within the frameworks mm -hmm. i mean and so you know are you take are you taking the different frameworks and making them your own you know how, do you go all in and are committed to them or is it like well i you know i'm gonna i'm gonna maybe i look at it as a toolbox and that's yeah. the way i'm looking at it so i you know just so, just curious so i'll go with chris's question first like you know too many frameworks, is it? Is that against the potential of us evolving or growing as human beings? Yeah, absolutely. If you're trying to teach somebody trigonometry and they haven't learned algebra or arith arithmetic, then they're probably not going to get very far. So it's important to 
ease into it. And, you know, it's not like I'm an expert on this. It's something that it was introduced to me. I mean, I've been working on myself probably since I got married. Before then, I was just working and having fun with friends and drinking. And then I married this amazing woman who was listening to Wayne Dyer tapes when she was 12 years old. So she's like an encyclopedia of, you know, personal self-help and all that other stuff. And I said to myself, Hey man, if I'm going to, if I'm going to stay married to this woman, I better get on board. And it's not something that she challenged me to do. She invited me a few times. Story I tell is, uh, she invited me to read Eckhart Tolle's book called the new earth. And I, at the time I wasn't reading books, I was listening to them. And I listened to this guy with a thick German accent. I'm like, I'm not listening to this stupid guy. So I completely disregarded it. And then Oprah came up with a series uh, on Skype, which we didn't know what Skype was at the time. And the book changed my life, like literally changed everything about how I look at things. So um, yeah, for anybody listening, like, I don't know what Todd's talking about. He's talking about a lot of different things and I don't understand half of it. Yeah, just no shit. Join the club. Like start at the basics and lean into it. So I can see how it can be viewed as drinking like water through a fire hose. It's like, it's just too much. And sometimes I don't necessarily tune in. I have to meet people where they are at. And sometimes it gets to be too much. In regards to Sean's question, do I lose myself in this in the some of these structures that I've been taught? At this moment, I would say yes. Like right now I have Kathy in my mind because she's like, forget all of it and just talk to people. But I know myself well enough that I need a framework so that I can break the framework. So what I'm doing right now is I am learning the framework really, really well. And then as I graduate, which will be in a few months, I am probably going to let go of a lot of it, but keep what serves me most. So, um, but yeah, you're Sean, you're just like Kathy. She's like, just forget it and just, just trust your gut. And I'm, I'm learning that. Uh, but I got a long ways to go. Yeah. The, 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 the analog to that in golf would just be like, my dad would say, it's just like, just work on your timing. Don't think about anything else, but your timing, you know, get, get in a rhythm or in other words, but um, it, it's, so it's interesting to hear you say that. And I also think that sometimes frameworks are helpful for us when we might lack confidence. And I, I wonder if, if you have found that to be true too. I, I don't think that's what you just described yourself as doing with frameworks, but, but, but do you think that's one of the great utilities of these things? Yeah, for me, like I, you know, I've always been a good listener for my buddies and that's what kind of got me at least thinking like, oh, maybe I can coach guys. And then I went through the Tony Robbins thing and I had a bunch of clients and I felt like I was helping them, but their issues came back and I wasn't really helping them in the long term. So I, um, so I didn't feel like a really strong coach. So to answer your question, Chris, yeah, my confidence level as a coach wasn't very good. So I decided to dive in to the deep end with both feet with the conscious leadership group. And it's been really, really rewarding. There's certain things about it that I don't get, or I don't, uh, I don't agree with, you know, I'm not going to like be hundred percent in on everything they teach, but for me, it's been a really good, and it's built my confidence up so that I will be able to, you know, break whatever model it is that has been taught to me and just bring in some of my own uh, talents, you know, uh, instinct, you know, I think coaching, just like anything else, 
is instinctual and I'm, I'm building that up as I go. And I, and I, and I wonder, you know, use the analogy to math and, and what occurred to me as you, as you said that was do, can we overcomplicate things? I mean, is life trigonometry or, or is life subtraction or addition? Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, sometimes I think we, we over, we overcomplicate it. Maybe we look a little deeper than we need to. For sure. And I do that quite often. And, you know, there's one moment in one of my weekends that I learned and, you know, the co-founder Jim Detmer said, you know, the books that I, the book I wrote and all this teaching, everything we're teaching you for, you can forget about the entire thing. It's about two things. It's about awareness and acceptance. And there's some beauty to the simplicity of that message. Awareness. Where am I right now? Like that's, that's a question of awareness. What am I feeling right now? That's another question of awareness. Oh, I'm feeling anger. Do I have the ability to express that anger in a healthy way? That's, that's a part of the awareness. And then acceptance. Can I accept myself for being angry right now? I think a lot of us just blame the shit out of ourselves and we feel guilty or shameful. We cannot transform what we cannot accept. So in every session I ever have with a guy is um, I, I bring up some questions of awareness and then I always ask them, can you accept yourself for being below the line and in some type of threatened state? So um, there's plenty of, you know, I guess more basic or primal tools in that toolbox that don't have anything to do with the 15 commitments. Yeah. So awareness and timing again, or that's, that's or awareness and uh, acceptance Definitely. are timing in the golf swing to me in my, right. in my sort of like, um, are you jonesing to play? Or? I'm jonesing to get on the golf course. <laughs> yeah, are you kidding yeah. me? Uh, I play with both. I play with both of you right now. I'm not. I shoot about a hundred or ninety-five to a hundred. I play with both of you right now, and I think you guys are about the same. I'm just, I'm trying to picture you guys one on one and who might win. Um, what do you guys shoot? My game's re- been really consistent, inconsistent. I haven't I haven't played regularly for a long time, but I. I uh, I mean, I can shoot 85 to 105. Same. Honestly. Yeah. 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 In the day I've gotten into the, into the low seventies a couple of times, and I've also been uh, easily into the three digits, but I think there's only one way to really find out is if Sean and I take on you and Frank uh, in a money I think that match. That might be ugly. That might be ugly. Um, okay. So I want to bring us back for a second. So uh, I love the awareness and acceptance to me. That's another one. Actually, another one of my, uh, name ideas for the podcast is um, is be curious not or curious not judgmental, which is mm. from Walt Whitman and from a Ted Lasso episode, which I, I just love, and I think that those two things are very similar. Mm. Um, but I, I'm I'm still fascinated by your story, Todd, about and I, I do remember this well when you felt like you were really sick, you were really physically sick, and on the one hand it would be awesome if our body could tell us these things so clearly on the other hand, it might suck, right? Like if there's anything out of whack, if you got physically sick, that would suck. Um, But like, I I guess, you know, I think this would take us outside of frameworks, but where else do you look for clues that's that you're strain? Shit. Hmm. Uh, It's a really good question. Um, I run a million miles a minute. And 
I'm not really good at slowing down. I have a meditation practice every day. I've been meditating every day for 10 minutes a day since January of last year. So I've missed maybe four days in the last, whatever, 400. And even within my, and you know, Sean leads the one that I do on Monday mornings, but even on, even when I'm in meditation, I am in my head most of the time. So for the question you're asking is, how do I locate where I am or, or take signs from the universe that I should go? And it's funny because now as I'm talking to you about this, the only way for me to pay attention was for the universe to basically punch me in the gut every night at three in the morning and to wake the fuck up. And most of the time, the universe is not so benign to give you these signals. Um, and unless I'm really listening, I don't hear them. And until I was lucky enough that the universe is like, all right, I'm going to make this guy sick every night for about six weeks and scare the shit out of him. Like, I thought I had stomach cancer. I didn't know what was going on, but it was bad and scary as all get out. So um, I'm trying to slow down and be more open and curious. Curiosity is a huge word in my life. Um, but I, I have such a long way to go. And, you know, I'm all I'm trying to do is surround myself with people that inspire me so that I can be, um, you know, I can give my gifts to them, but so I can kind of soak in some of the gifts that they give to me um, of people who, who have figured certain things out that I haven't figured out. Because one of the things I haven't figured out is, how to just sit calmly in a place and listen. So I don't know if that answered your question, but. So, so to, back to this thousand miles an hour. And I think it would be interesting for people to understand that, you know, and again, in revealing a little bit more about you, um, you have a lot of roles. Um, you're a husband, a father, a salesman of concrete, some kind of concrete. Um, you have done a podcast with your wife uh, every week for 10 years. And you started this organization, uh, Men Living, which you are very committed to. So uh, why do you do all that? Mm, well... Maybe how and why. Maybe start with how you do it all. How because I think somebody so somebody might listen and say, Well, I you know, I want to do more with my life. And this guy is, you know, he's got three daughters, um, you know, wife, he's got three essentially three jobs. Um, you know, how do you do it? And then maybe why do you do it? Ooh, um, how do I do it? I am blessed. Uh oh. Yeah, you're blessed with bad internet. <laughs> he is. It's chronic. Todd just froze. It's, it's, That's all right. Well, because we'll pause this and we'll bring him back in. So when he comes back, we'll start this question right. again. You just froze. Oh, did I? God yeah. damn it. So, Sorry about that. Um, so how do I do that? Um, the first and most obvious thing that comes to me is I my nine to five job. I work as a sales rep and I have an ability to set my own schedule. I have a lot of freedom. And he's a guy, he's, my boss trusts me to do a good job, which I do and make sure I bring in the sales and, and then he leaves me alone. So most of us men in our forties and fifties don't have the luxury I have. So that's the how the, 
the why is it depends on which part we're talking about. You know, the, the reason I do the podcast with my wife is because it fills me up. It's so fun. Kathy and I decided this a long time ago. We are going to have these conversations anyways in the kitchen. So we might as well have them in front of a microphone and have some headphones on our ears and see what happens. So um, I love having these conversations with my wife. She challenges me. She supports me. I do the same thing for her. The reason I do men living, and maybe this will be a good dovetail into, you know, some of the themes that we want to hit on this podcast is, and I've shared this story with you guys many times, but maybe there's some people out there that don't know it. I went on a golf weekend with my buddies to in Galena, Illinois, my college buddies. And we were there for three days, I think. And we played um, poker and we went to the casino and we drank a lot of beer and then I got home exhausted from a long weekend with my college buddies. I think it was about 32 years old. And she said, how was it? And I said, it was great. And she said, um, how are the guys? I said, they're awesome. She's like, I, she's like, so what's going on with them? I'm like, well, what do you mean? I just told you they're awesome. <laughs> and she's like, no, like what's happening in their lives? Are they working? Are they getting married? Are they having kids? Are they getting along with their job real well. And I have not had a single authentic conversation with these six or seven men whom I love, by the way, because I've known them since I was 18 years old, but I, there's no elements of authenticity or vulnerability in the conversation. And then meanwhile, Kathy will go out with her girlfriends and within three hours know everything about what's going on to, you know, in their lives, emotionally, professionally, relationally. And I just decided I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to have these relationships where there's this obvious underlying theme of lack of vulnerability and inauthenticity. So I emailed my friend Frank and I said, let's start something. And we did. And that was whatever, eight years ago. And now we're, we're doing a podcast here together that has, you know, men living themes around it. So. It's funny. So it, oh, sorry, Sean, go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, we've talked, we've mentioned curiosity and being curious a couple of times and that, I mean, I'm guilty as charged. I've done that a million times. It's a, it's a, it's like an antiquated masculine thing to do is to not be curious enough to even find out how someone's kids are mm-hmm. through three days of golf, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if that makes you, I don't think it makes anyone a bad person, but it certainly uh, illustrates, I think, an area for growth. Well, and it wasn't curious. It wasn't lack of curiosity. It was lack of vulnerability. It was, um, you know, and, and even the kids question, like even that's a safe question. Like, you know, Chris, you've been part of Men Living almost since it started. And Sean, you've been uh, as involved as anybody. We don't really talk about our kids that much. I mean, unless there's some times where we need some support, we talk about, how are we doing emotionally? How can we challenge and support one another? Like, you know, like how's work and how are the kids? Those are crutches in a conversation. Uh, <laughs> this question is going to be hard to, to, yes, to it is. plan together. Mm-hmm. We got to get them like one of those Google. Uh, I, I got it. I got, I, I should reset my it. router because I'm, hardwired into the HDMI, but I haven't reset my router in a while. So, uh, it's frustrating. Um, part of me wants to go reset the router just to see, because it might keep doing this to me. 
Well, it's only happened twice, and we've got about 20 more minutes or so, but I think before one of you guys has to go. Um, and we don't want to really go much more than an hour because we can always get you back on. See, we sure. we we actually we have that uh yeah, relationship. That availability. Um so uh I you were what were you just saying before you froze? Uh, I think I was um, talking about safe quest safe questions, kids and work. Yes. Yeah. So like even some of the questions that you mentioned, Chris, are like, how are your kids or how's work? Like even those are safe questions that we all ask one another. And the thing is, if you ask that question, are you really prepared to get an honest answer? Because sometimes our kids are not doing well. And sometimes our job is not going well, but we kind of default and just say, oh, everything's fine and pretend like, you know, what I love about men living that there's moments when we really are struggling with something, you know, life is sometimes really hard. So if I'm having a conversation with a man and I say, how is your daughter? And, and I know him well enough to where he's actually going to share, actually, she's not doing really well. And this is what's going on. Can I create the space for that man to step into that space and honestly share what's going on in his world? That's why I do what I do. That, that's great. I, one of my favorite teachers and, 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 future podcast guest is a guy named Father Michael Himes, who defines love as being genuinely interested and, and to, to really want to know the answer to the question of like, what is it that ails you? Mm. And, and, and I find the same experience. I mean, um, I don't know how much we'll, we'll talk about what we do in men living, but that is certainly one of the things that I have always felt safe and able to do, which is um, to come and share what ails me. With a, bunch yeah. of, with a bunch of my brothers and it takes work it's you've got to show up you got to be willing i remember i was doing this indian princess weekend where it's a bunch of dads and 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 daughters i think 10 years and 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 younger and i had been doing it for three or four years and i realized like all these there's just just oozing with inauthentic non-vulnerable uh conversation and I'm like, well, fuck this, man. I'm going to go in this year to this camp out and I'm just going to ask hard questions and I'm going to lead with vulnerable things. Now I did that. And a lot of men got really scared and walked away from me, but I'd be like, you know, and they say, Hey Todd, how you doing? Actually, I'm not doing well because I had a big fight with my wife last night, or I'm worried about my job or whatever it was. They weren't ready to actually find out how I was doing. And, but what, what I did find is most guys do want that, that deep connection, but somebody's got to make the move. And I decided that I was going to initiate vulnerability either through my questions or what I would share. And my experience was that most guys want to go there. We just, we've been taught that that's not safe. So well, that's what it's not. It's not entirely a decision. Like you, don't, you guys don't get to just decide one day I'm going to be vulnerable versus having not been vulnerable for the last 37 years or whatever, right? There's some, there's some, there's some muscle and not skill set, but I feel like, I mean, we've been, we've been trained to not be vulnerable. Yeah. Dude, it took me years to get to the point where I was going to say, fuck it. I'm going into this weekend and I'm going to be vulnerable with these guys who I don't really know that well. It was more of like a science experiment. Like I just want to mm -hmm. see what happens or like, you know, I don't know if this will land, but sometimes I go to Panera and there's a bunch of old men sitting around talking like a group of Sometimes. six or seven men. <laughs> <laughs> Going to any fucking Panera and there's it. 
and they're sitting there. And the ones who always, the ones who are enjoying themselves a lot, I will interrupt them and say, Hey, my name is Todd. I have a men's group and I really have dedicated a lot of my time to lifelong friendships. And it seems like you, all you men have known each other for a long time. So what is your secret recipe to having these lifelong friendships? And what's funny is when you ask that question, because I've asked it many times in Panera's, uh, they usually respond by making fun of one of the people at the table. Like that's a very safe thing. Oh, well, we don't really like this guy. Or they'll say something sarcastic and funny, but then I'll be like, no, guys, I really want to know. And then they'll actually step into that space and say, well, we love one another and we've known each other a long time. But our first response is always, well, not always, many times sarcasm or making fun because that's kind of like our common denominator of language that we always understand. I heard yeah. some, I heard someone on a podcast recently, um, an older man tell his grandson, I think I'll see you in the funny papers, <laughs> which reminds me, do you remember that old saying? It reminds me of what sure. these guys in Panera would say. Um, that's a book idea, by the way, in addition to just being an experiment, you should, you should write a book and, and go out and interview these people because I think there's a lot to learn from those dudes. Yeah. The problem is I don't like writing. My wife is, she'll freaking box herself in an office and write for six hours. I have to write a blog for men living once a month and it's like pulling teeth. It's just, it's a, I, I honor anybody who's an author because it's not something that's in my skill set, at least not right now. So, so I want to go back to your, your Panera surveys. Um, do you, do you get a sense that it's with age that men become more vulnerable Yes. I, I can't even say, I'm very, I can't say the word. Um, Vulnerable. I, <laughs> I do think they, they do soften up many of them. And the reason I think that is, is because most of them are out of their making money stage and they have to kind of reinvent themselves and their existence when they were in the workforce is they make money. And then all of a sudden they're not making any money. They're actually spending money and they're worried about their own retirement. And I think that is kind of the catalyst for them to kind of rethink how it is that they're going to show up in this world. Because when, in our, when we're in our 40s, 50s, and 60s, we just got to make as much money as we can so that we provide for our family. And then all of a sudden you realize like, wow, I'm, on the I'm in the second half of life and I feel a little empty I feel more empty than I thought I was going to. So I need to cultivate something more real. So I think that's why you see grandfathers soften up with their grand grandsons and granddaughters in a way that they probably didn't soften up to when they had their own kids when they were in their thirties and forties. So that's my guess. Well, maybe yeah, just, just a healthy disdain for all the social norms that have been placed on them for the first 80 years in our life too. Maybe that's a, a, a you know, a French benefit of growing old. Yep. I, do, I do need to append, though, just in case my wife listens to this or Manisha or Kathy. It's not necessarily the men that have to go out and make the money and, and, and true and care for their families. Because but that is that ladies, is the pro ladies do that, too. Of course they do. But I'm yeah. talking about the programming. Yeah, we have oh, the program. Absolutely. The programming. Sure. Yes. So, so thank Crazy. you for that. Thank you for that clarification, Sean. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't mean to, I can see how that I know you don't interpret it as a sexist yeah. comment. I'm talking about what we are taught from the time that we have our memory exists yeah. five years old, whatever it is, we're taught that our value is based partially 
on how much money we make. The other parts are, you know, how many trophies we have in our trophy case or how many sexual partners we have in our teenager years and twenties and thirties. And it's all a lie. That's the thing. It's all a lie. That is not who we are as, as human beings on this planet, at least according to me. Uh, I can say already or predict confidently already that we're going to have to gather again for round two of this conversation because we're going to run out of time. But I, I wanted to hit on one other thing. Uh, and it goes back to sort of the insatiable growth thing. Um, and I'll frame it like this. So I have a new Peloton. I'm in the small group, the small batch meditation thing. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm reading Jeff Tweedy's book about how to write a song every day. I, I've been really good about this every day in 2021 almost every day I've done all of these things, right? Which is not sustainable. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think about the, the work that we do and, you know, gosh, I really, I mean, we do these pies check-ins. I really would like to improve my physical health. I really want to work on my emotional uh, well-being. Uh, professionally, I would like to get better. And so I guess my question for you, like as a coach, like what do you, how do you, how do you help guys figure out how to prioritize? It's mm, a good question. So I think it depends when you catch me, but what's interesting is when I'm coaching guys, I am, I invite them to bring up whatever is on their mind right now. And it could be career. It could be money. It could be, but whatever it is, is like, you know, let's say a guy's like, Oh, I want to, I want to switch jobs because I'm unhappy at work. So that's the on-ramp for us to, do a deeper exploration because most of the time when we're stuck in something and we feel like there's no options or we feel like there's too much or not enough of something, there is something historical inside of us that has yet to be resolved. So what I say to guys when they show up uh, and we do some coaching together, I'd be like, the issue, whatever it is that you're bringing up, isn't nearly as important as you think it is. That's simply the on-ramp for us to, to, to do a deeper exploration of how you view yourself, how you view the world, how you view any childhood trauma, any childhood wounds that you have yet to get resolved. So we'll start with the session as guys like, oh, I want to change careers. And then somehow we'll get to the point where he talks about how he didn't like the way his dad treated him when he was seven years old. I mean, uh-huh in a typical session. So we start with something current, but we almost always go back to some, some part of us that we have not yet accepted, call it a shadow part, call it a persona. And the whole idea is for us to turn towards and know that these parts of us that sometimes come out sideways is some unresolved trauma. So we need to reframe our relationship with that part of us so that we can um, we can resolve our energy, our, our memory of it, because that showed up when we were a child because it was there to serve us. So I'll give you my example. When I grew up, when I was growing up, my parents fought all the time. So I shut my shit down. I didn't get mad. I didn't get sad. I didn't get afraid. I had to, I couldn't take all of the yelling and screaming that was happening in my house. So I got numb. I got really numb. So picture an eight-year-old kid. It's like, well, I'm either going to feel these feelings and go crazy, or I'm just going to shut all that shit down. So I decided to shut that shit down and get really numb and not do a really good job of body awareness and feeling my feelings and expressing my feelings. 
The problem is I'm sometimes still doing that as a 48 year old man with my own daughter or my own wife or my own friend. And because it's, we're not attracted to what's good for us. We're attracted to what's familiar. And what's familiar for me is to shut my feelings down. So what all I'm trying to do is peel the onion a little bit and look at these things that showed up when we were six or seven or eight or 10 or 12 or 15 years old and look at it a little bit differently and then show up maybe a little bit differently, maybe with a little more wisdom than we otherwise do. Because all we do is sometimes guys, we just act like, act like little boys. And unless we're looking at that in a, with some support of other men or a coach or a psychologist or a, then we're just going to keep spinning our wheels. So I don't know if that answers your question, but that's what came to me. It's helpful. And I think that there's, there's a lot more ground we could cover on that and a lot of other things. Um, We, we do, Sean, uh, do you have any more questions before we probably wrap it up here since we've got some hard stops? Yeah, no, I, I mean, I did, I I do think we should, we should approach this again because I, I struggle with the whole looking back to when I was six years old uh issues so i think that would make for maybe a nice starting point for the next round with todd j adams you sure you don't want to keep i got i mean i don't know what your heart stop is i got 15 minutes so let's have a debate Ooh, right I, now i i don't think that's enough time i think not. I, I think that i think that might be a whole show really <laughs> uh, there's a lot of different opinions on that whole thing um now he did now i th- i was wondering though as you were answering chris i I, I thought Chris was looking for some advice as to how to prioritize mm-hmm. all the stuff that you, you know, what's a good way of prioritizing in order to accomplish more stuff. Um, I don't know. Chris, is that what were yeah. you looking for some advice there too? Yeah. And I think, I think, I think again, we can get there. I mean, that, and that could be, I can see, I think it's a very individual answer um, because everyone has their own stuff to, 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 to work out. What I do want to point out, Sean and I debated uh, 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 having a common in- introductory question for each of these interviews, Todd. Uh, I don't know if you'll find this interesting at all. I thought it would be interesting to ask people to tell us what they were like when they were 10. Mm. Oh. Uh, and then maybe, you know, go on to say, uh, how does how does that align with, with, with who you are now as a 48-year-old? Um, and so we've had this, uh, this debate among ourselves about this, you know, uh, why do you even need, why is it helpful to go back at all? I'm, I'm curious how, how, maybe how you would have answered that question. I'll answer it. Yeah. So sometimes my dad, bless his heart, says to me, and he doesn't know that he's hurting me when he asks this question, but he's like, what happened to your laugh? Your laugh. Did he freeze no. for you? What's that? Did yeah. he freeze on you? No, he's not frozen, but I can't hear him. What he now comes he's from? from? Now he's yeah. now <laughs> Just write the punchline. It always happens right, right the yeah, punchline. Right. All right. Take take two. Yeah, yeah. take two. You you, yeah. you you broke up when your dad what your dad says to you. So maybe start over again with that. Sometimes my dad asks me, um, what happened to that laugh when you were 10 years old? And it used to be so explosive and loud and silly. And I don't see that. And I think what he's saying is, why do you take life so damn seriously? Mm. And I get really reactive when I hear that question. And, I'll, and I, I've always noticed that when I get reactive now to any question or any person that's in front of me, it's probably because there's some truth in it that I don't want to own. So I think there's some wisdom in the question. I don't necessarily think it's presented in the most productive way from my dad. 
But when I was 10, I was a silly heart. I was, I mean, it's before my parents really started fighting really bad, or maybe it was right as that was approaching, but I didn't have a care in the world. All I wanted to do was play football in front of my house and go to the field and play lob league and go play. And as a 48 year old man, because you guys are both in men living, we spend one night a year out of all the nights we spend together, one night a year to play like we did when we were 10 years old. And if we're only reserving one night a year to do that, then we got some issues. And I am sitting here raising my hand that I take life way too seriously. So I do think that there is some wisdom that I can really use if I look back and see what my, like, I think my 10 year old self would be laughing at my 48 year old self right now. Like, dude, relax. But I have to, I, 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 Okay, I have to push back a little bit because I know I know you two get together and with your wives and like make up songs and have cocktails and do like fun stuff. So you do you do fun stuff. I know you do. Not so much as I used to. When you were 10. Yeah, wasn't it great? Don't we see sometimes we sometimes this question gets asked whether it's my family or friends, would you go back? and be 10 again. And I'm always like, yes. And most people answer no to that. Yeah. And I'm like, why would you not say yes to that question? It just sounds like such an invitation that we, that if I got that invitation, I would do it in a second. And so, so, are so like, what about you, Chris? Well, I, hold on, I want to frame the question in a different uh, way. Um, let's say you had to go back to be 10 again. Mm-hmm. Would you rather go back knowing what you know now or not knowing what you know now? I don't know if I'm, I, I guess I would have to think about that question, but my quick answer was I'd rather be ignorant. I'd rather, I'd be, that's part of growing. And if I learned the lessons in the last 38 years of my life as a 10 year old, like that, I'd be a pretty messed up 10 year old. Like I want to make the mistakes and screw it up again. Yeah. The, I don't, I don't know if we went back to when we were 10, knowing what we know now, I think our twenties would be a lot less fun. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> so that would be a drag right yeah. uh okay so i've taken some notes here um we have some things we're gonna have to take head on uh the next time we get together um sure. and if it's okay sean i'm gonna i'm gonna ask him yes a few questions uh todd yep. these are meant to be you know th- this is like the actor studio yeah. remember that show james lipton yeah james lipton these are not as 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 quippy or as fun but i got four questions here i'm going to fire at you so yep. just try to give me short answers and this first one's relevant based on what we were just discussing what do you wish you could have told your 10 year old self that it's going to be okay okay thank you um what was the most formative year of your life? Hmm. Hmm. Most formative year of my life. I don't know, man. I mean, I was lost. I was lost a lot of my twenties are a blur. So it can't be my (laughs) twenties. My thirties were a blur because I'm trying to support my wife who sleep deprived chasing after three daughters. So it, it would probably be, I don't know, like 13, 14 years old, somewhere in there. Real When you say formative, when I think of formative, I mean. I'm, I'm talking about like what, where, where, where something went down that shaped the person you are today. 
and your audio is out. I think he'll be back pretty quick, though. Wah, wah. Yeah. Wah, wah. Yeah, we can, <laughs> we can hear you. Okay. Yeah. I want to take a screenshot You're still of your frozen, face right now. <laughs> Could you hear me the whole time? No, no, no we lost oh, you. I going to say, I just said the fucking best thing ever. You guys. <laughs> Did you did you land on a year that was the most formative? I said thirteen or fourteen. Okay, okay, okay. Two more quick ones here. Um, uh, maybe these are too deep, so maybe we'll abandon these after this. But you're still gonna uh, sure. you're still gonna play along. Um, what do you hope that people will say about you at your wake? Um, hmm. It seems like a cheesy answer, but he loved his family. Mm, not cheesy at all. Uh, last but not least. Do you have a mantra in life or even just a mantra these days that you favor? Um, mantra, be here now. Be, be here, now. here now. Like you think that, oh, it's simple. it's a simple statement, but it's really not. To be is not an easy thing to do. To be here in this room that I'm doing this podcast with you all, because there's part of me that's already thinking about where I'm going to go. And now can I be here now? So yeah, that'd be a pretty good uh, thing for me to incorporate. So I'm sitting here listening to me answer the questions. I'm thinking, Oh, it's gotta be, are you above the line or below the line? <laughs> Cause that's all I ever hear from the guy. Are you above the line or are you below the line? Like, where are you? Where, where else is he? Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and say it, Todd. If you hadn't botched the second question so badly, I'd give you an A plus because ah, those are some great answers. So close. Uh, no, it was great. It was great. Uh, covering a lot of ground with you not nearly enough ground um mm. i don't think we've devised an, a graceful way to exit these conversations sean have we have do, do no, something think, graceful uh until next time that was easy there you go this is chris thanks again for joining us on this episode of if you've come this far and this is sean remember to check us out mnliving.org